Okay, and it looks like it's working. Do I sound okay? You sound great. I'm not too crunchy or anything? You're not crunchy at all. Oh, good. I think... I don't know. Is being crunchy a bad thing? Uh, I mean, that's just how I say you have distortion. What do, what do you have against crunchy? Um, most people find it unpleasant. It depends on what we're talking about here. I mean, I guess if you're, like, listening to black metal, then that's desirable, but, like... Oh, I was thinking more like peanut butter. No, crunch... Yeah, no, that's food, <laughs> That's different. I well, just, it's so I, I just said, you when sound, I say it, I'm talking are, about microphone distortion, so... You're anti-crunchy, is what I'm understanding. <laughs> I mean, I do like smooth peanut butter, I guess, but... I mean, I, I, I do too. I kind of have a, like, crunchy peanut butter's not awful, but, like, no. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick it. Right. But, like, sometimes I like crunchy, like, a Nestle Crunch Bar is fine. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So there you go. Are you recording now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been recording for, for about a minute and a half. Okay, good. I hope we keep the Crunch Bar conversation in. <laughs> I like I, I'm up for that Hi, I'm Chris And I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Sound Judgment Podcast Where every episode, we'll be discussing all of the important musical topics From reviews to which member of Motley Crue is the most vile I'm gonna judge the officials I'm gonna judge all the judges It's gonna take you people years to recover from all my opinions <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what I've been listening to quite a bit of lately, Jeff. Okay. I thought you just did. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) I'm going somewhere. I'm setting up a bit. I'm sorry. This is a bit. I didn't... I need to commit to the bit, but I didn't know it was a bit. (laughs) Okay. Take three. So, so, so you know what else I've been listening to a lot of lately, Jeff? Is live... No, what's up? Fuck. Is live killers by Queen... Because I got it on vinyl. <laughs> oh, did you really? Yeah, I did. I got it on nice. vinyl. Nice. I actually now have the first eight studio Queen albums and Live Killers on vinyl. Very nice. It's a nice little... Which, up until uh, the game, which is kind of where I kind of like lose lose my love of Kiss and it just becomes a, you know... I'm sorry, your love of Kiss? Shut the your fuck love up. Of... I hate your lo- Kiss. You're doing my great. Love of Queen. Your love of Queen. <laughs> Which is kind of where I lose my love of Queen, and it just becomes, you know, when you when you when you check in with that person who used to be your friend every once in a while because you do kind of you do kind of like uh 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 I want to break free, but <laughs> wow, okay, shut the fuck up! I'm wide awake. I'm not losing it. Yet. <laughs> you do not sound awake anymore. It's only eight o'clock. <laughs> That's late when you get up at four thirty. All right, valid. Okay. Um, Okay, but I I I I wanted to talk it made me want to talk about live albums a little bit, right? Okay. Because yeah. we both love live albums. I do love live and, albums. And I really do think that live albums are something that we could talk about more than once because I originally started thinking about oh, what are my favorite live albums? What are some, you know, weird quirky live albums that we could talk about like that one where it's, you know, just Elvis talking and they cut out all of the music. That's fun. That's an interesting album. Uh, notably bad live albums like that that horrible horrible Jerry only fronted Misfits live album. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. man. But uh, I I said something to one of our mutual friends who's a big Queen fan. I said, you know, I got Live Killers, and the you know, 
you know, one of my favorite live albums, which is an opinion that makes him aggressive. And he Why? reminds and he reminds me that that's not a real live album, and that all it's, of the it's songs, heavily edited, isn't it? All of the songs, uh, well, okay, so there's different takes on this, but th- for the narrative that we're going for here, all of the songs are kind of Frankenstein together from like four or five different recordings. Uh, yeah, every every song features heavy studio overdubs. Some of the songs are like suspected to be completely staged because there's bootlegs of most of the nights, and some of them don't match up with any of the bootlegs. Um, yeah, I vaguely remember this being a thing. In fact, I, I feel like, wasn't there a website? There's a website about yes. this. So there's a website where they try to match up, like, with timestamps, what show every song is probably from, and some of them are just still unknown, and oh, they might have just been cool. redone. So, so that's, like, an opinion that, uh, that he's allowed to have, but it made me think about other live albums that are of a suspicious origin. Okay. Uh, some of the ones that when that I've heard before, and I also kind of looked up this concept to see like what else other people were talking about. Uh, people have said Guns N' Roses live like a suicide. Uh, people have said Kisses alive too. Uh, yeah. Oh people yeah. People have said Unleashed in the East by Judas Priest. Uh, I think a confirmed, really. I think a confirmed one is "Party" by the Beach Boys. Nah, who gives a shit? Uh, "Live and Dangerous" from Thin Lizzy. "Frampton Comes Alive" was on the list. An infamous one is Slayer's "Live Undead," because people thought it was a studio recording with crowd noise like pumped in for years, but it seems that it probably was recorded live. But only twelve people showed up, and their mics didn't pick up anyone. But if you've never listened to this, please just like for a second go to Live Undead and Slayer's discography and listen to the fucking fake ass crowd noise. Yeah, no, I I don't I don't know this at all, and I'm so caught up on uh you saying Frampton comes alive. I actually was not aware there was ever uh controversy around that. So hold on, let me pull up Slayer here though. I'm I'm yeah, you have sparked my interest, sir. Is this an early album? Okay, yeah. Wow, 84. This is literally like they're... This is literally they were promoting Show No Mercy. They, they okay, didn't have their wow. second album or anything out yet. Um, Any track in particular should I go just, with? Just, just You can just listen to the opening Black Magic and you can hear how fucking fake this crowd sounds during the whole track. It just doesn't sound like they're even in the room with the band. Oh my god. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> oh no! The crowd cheering has not... It's not... Has nothing to do with the music, right? Yeah, like exactly. they're not sounds... they're not reacting at all. It's just, yeah. yeah, right. It just sounds like they like picked up ambient crowd noise and just threw like from some other source and just threw it in front of Slayer playing. Oh my god! So I'm putting on Evil Has No Boundaries real quick. Yeah, and it's like the same. They're all like this. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing! I have no idea. <laughs> You're welcome. But in all fairness, like, I mean, now I wasn't there in 1984, but they had apparently one, only 12 people were. They had one full album out. Like, of of course they weren't gonna be bringing in crowds that big. Yeah. Oh my god, that's amazing. So I was thinking we could do a little bit of research, find a couple of these albums that we'd be interested in. I'm sure you've already. I'm sure you know Live Like a Suicide. I'm sure, you know, you've heard Kiss Alive too or Kiss Alive. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. And just kind of maybe come back in like a week or two and compare notes. That's so fun. I love this. Okay, cool. <laughs> oh, that's I so that, cool. I thought that you'd I, like this you one. Know, I actually like the fact that, like, as I was taking notes on live albums, one of my notes, I had, I was splitting it just in pros and cons of live albums, and one of my cons is when it's obviously been doctored, so this is perfect, because I actually already know a few examples of this. Yeah, and I mean, you know, for me, it's like, it, it's about the final product, so there are ones that are doctored that I still like in spite of that, like Life yeah. Goes. Like, I don't care that it's doctored. I know it is, and I still like the experience of listening to it. No, but, but there's some that you're but, so that they sound bad but, because But of sometimes it. they sound like uh, fucking Live Undead by Slayer. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. <laughs> I love this. Real quick, what's going on with this Motley Crue thing? They're going to record an album now? Are you kidding me? There's more. I actually did not know there's more Motley Crue news. What I read was them saying that they were going to record a new album, Make Mars Be Damned. Are you kidding me? No. And they said that Mick Mars, like, <sighs> needs rescued from his manager and that his manager's, like, committing elder abuse and... Oh my god. I, I, I just love, like, I look up... This is ridiculous. I just do a Google search for Motley Crue and there are multiple... Ar- articles within the past two days and they're all different and none of them are good it never stops the motley Crue train wreck just never uh, stops wrecking like what one of them is is the dirt worth watching one of them is again them saying the they have not used backing tracks which they absolutely have one of them is motley Crue calls fan quote a fucking clown (laughs) Oh my god. <laughs> Why are they like this? This is the world's god. slowest train derailment. It is so frustrating being a fan <laughs> of their music, man. It makes it very hard to be a fan of Motley Crue. <laughs> so, and this all this all stems from accusations of them faking their live show? Yeah. Oh Speaking yeah. Speaking of faking a live show, <laughs> speaking of yeah speaking of faking live shows uh I, that's literally what we're talking about here well not live shows but we're talking about live albums or rather how live are live albums i guess is really the question uh because you brought up what started this is you fed to me uh like forcefully you you spooned this into my mouth an early live album by Slayer. Did you which, check Live Undead out? I'll say, is that what it was called? I was actually looking for it. I can't remember what it was called. Live Undead. Yeah, so... um, It is... The band existed, like, what? For a year by the time this yeah. was recorded. There is no way... They were bringing in the audience that you hear in this recording. No. <laughs> like they, you are hearing like, I don't want to say like a stadium, but you're hearing a large room full of people. Yeah. When they were absolutely playing in front of like tiny crowds still at this point. I think the claim, I think the manager's claim is that they re- record this in front of 12 people. Or something like that. <clears throat> yeah. And they just added in audience noise to make it sound... Like a full room. 
like a bigger full room concert. I think before we get into any of this, I think that brings up the disclaimer that so much of this is hearsay. Yeah. So much of whether this recording was live, this recording was overdubbed, this recording was this, this recording was spliced together. So much of it is hearsay. And I found that really frustrating. I was assuming that more albums would have had this information like in the liner notes. And there are examples where it is. But there's so many where I'm just finding the same conversation on forum websites over the past 20 years of people arguing over what's live, what isn't, what's overdubbed, what's taken from what night, whatever. So there's a lot of speculation. Anything I say, I, I kind of feel like anything I've read, I feel like take it with a grain of salt. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I found a lot of the things that you were saying in on, you know, finding old forum posts and stuff like that. I tried to like look into some of these albums as I was looking them up. And a lot of them do have, you know, the mm. arguments that the producers and the managers had. And like, a lot of this is, you can, you can find somewhere on the Wikipedia page where they talk about like, it's it, it. We at least know it's taken from across three nights or they pumped in audit. Like, but some, as far as some of them being like, you know, there's debate as to how much, of that is true. One really good example was Live Killers uh, by Queen, where yeah. there is actually a website that tracks timestamps. Uh, if you want to look at that, I'll leave it in the description. That tracks the timestamps across uh, three nights that it was recorded, but there's also a bunch of unknown ones, and some of those are suspected to be done in the studio or taken from another night that like isn't listed. Um. Because I think that for that one, the jacket does say that it it's record the songs are taken from three nights. It makes it sound like the songs are there complete just from like different nights. Yeah. Whereas you can actually go to a website where it timestamps where songs cut between nights. So I've actually found a few websites like that. There's another one. It's uh thegardentapes.co.uk/tgt.html. And it is somebody who did that kind of breakdown for Led Zeppelin's The Song Remains the Same. Okay. Which was the same deal. It was three nights at Madison Square Garden, and this website broke it down second by second. This was taken from this night. This was taken from this night. This was taken from this night. This was cut completely. And also, apparently, I did not realize this, there's a difference between The Song Remains the Same CD and video. Yeah. Like, there are recordings of those that are spliced together differently, which is a whole weird story. Yeah. But okay, before we, get too, before we get too ahead of ourselves, I feel like let's just, like, lay down the, let's lay down, I don't want to say, like, the ground rules, but, like, let's lay this down into <clears throat> types of, of live albums, right? Yeah. Because I feel like there's very specific ways that these are done. There's live albums that are completely unedited which I think for the most part are like bootleg recordings. Yeah. Some of which are released officially, but like they're basically bootleg recordings. Yeah. Or, you know, you just, uh, well, I'll, I'll let you go to the second one. Maybe that, maybe that okay. covers this, but like, so, or sometimes you just get lucky and, and you get a good night and you only have to do a little bit of overdubbing or whatever. Yeah. So then there's some where there's some people who release the, uh, like just the straight soundboard audio. Yeah which I have hits and misses on, on, on those 
soundboard recording that would get released. Um, you also have, as we both mentioned, between Queen and Led Zeppelin, a very common thing that happens is you get multiple nights were recorded and bits and pieces were taken. Now, ideally, you would get a full song, but it might be like, oh, song one was from this night, song two was from this night, song three was from this night. But really what happens frequently is the songs themselves are spliced together from different nights. Like, you might have half a guitar solo from one night, and then the second half of the guitar solo was from another night. So it's literally the same track spliced in multiple spaces. And then you have the full-on, this was a live recording, but it was overdubbed to various extents. In some cases I've read, which we'll get to, it's very minimal, and some people supposedly have proof it's very minimal. Um, and in some cases, there's some pretty notable ones where almost everything was re-recorded. Yeah. So in some cases, you might have, like, maybe the singer re-recorded all or almost all of the vocals. But the rest of the band is live, so it's still a live performance, quote-unquote, I guess. Yeah. And then, then worst-case scenario, you have... You have the recordings that were literally not live at all, or they were just, like, live on, like, a soundstage, and they pumped in audience <laughs> audio in front of everything. So it's, like, the like the, the songs were recorded and edited in a studio setting, practically, and then a fake audience was put over it. So there's yeah. a whole line of live albums. Before anything, I have to say, I love live albums. And I think I've even said this before on, on the podcast. I love live albums. There is a good chance if I am listening to a band, especially like a rock band from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, there's a good chance one of the go-to albums for me is a live album. Even if I know a lot of it is overdubbed or yeah. edited in some way, there's a lot about live albums I just really enjoy. Right. Um... And I think that's a big part of, of this discussion. And I'm going to quote, of all people, Paul Stanley of KISS. Uh, quote, if it feels like a live experience, it is a live experience. And he said this referring to KISS Alive, the first one. Yeah. Which, even by their own admission, I don't believe at the time, but, you know, 20 years later... um. They did record it live, and then it's full of overdubs. Yeah. Because their show wasn't necessarily all about being musically perfect. It was a spectacle. Like, Kiss were a circus right. in the 70s. And, and Kiss Alive is from, I believe, 75. So, there's actually a VH1 documentary. Um, I apologize. I thought I had it written here, and I lost it. Oh, VH1 Ultimate Albums is a series they did where they actually talked to Eddie Kramer, the producer of Kiss Alive. And in this documentary, he even shows, like, oh, yeah, here's the recording of Paul Stanley, like, at the, at the night, and we re-recorded it so it sounds like this. Like, he's not shy about the fact that, like, oh, yeah, no, we, we doctored the hell out of this. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. I know that that bothers some people, but... 
I'm going to agree with Mr. Stanley that if it feels like a live album, it's it's serving its purpose. It Kiss Alive feels like a live performance. It's a very good live performance. It's an unrealistically good live performance in some ways. But it feels like a live performance, and I think it sounds awesome. So, tangent over, before we get into anything else, I just want to say, like, there's different levels of how live an album is, and in the end, I still like them. So um, The ones I dislike we'll get into, and they're normally for other reasons. So I'm going to agree with you. I, I also really like live albums, and... um. I was actually doing a little bit of reading on what Peter Frampton had to say about, uh, I guess a newspaper made a joke accusing him of uh, Frampton alive mostly being re-recorded in the studio. Yes, 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 yes. Please, please explain. He, They made a joke about it and he responded. I just have like his quotes here. Although uh, one thing that I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I wrote down was uh, he made some sort of comment as if you want to hear an album that was completely dubbed over, you can listen to Kiss Alive. They borrowed my amps to make that, to make the overdubs for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have, okay, I have heard rumor that that was a thing, but I, I had not seen a quote specifically from, excuse me, specifically from Peter Frampton. So that's pretty funny. Which follows with an editor's note that something along the lines of, hey, whatever you have to do, that album rules. So uh, I guess that guy agrees with you. But he said, in those days, technology was not as it is today. It was just not as technical. We've come a long way, obviously. So unfortunately, on a couple of tracks, only some instruments were not recorded because there was a crackling on the tape or the assistant or the guitar tech didn't move the mic. As for the number of times that anything is overdubbed on Frampton Comes Alive, the rule was that if it didn't make it to the tape, then we can redo it because it needs to be done. If it made it to tape and it sounds good, we leave it. So nothing was overdubbed on that album that wasn't absolutely necessary. We left the mistakes in. If I wanted my voice to be perfect and in tune, I could have resung the whole album, but I didn't. Because then it wouldn't be live. And there were some really bad notes that I sing and some really out-of-tune guitar notes that I play on that album as well. Interesting. So yeah, That's actually really funny, because you mentioned that when we were discussing doing this as a topic, you mentioned Frampton Comes Alive as one of these disputed albums. And quite frankly, I never even thought of it. But... I also, like, I never put any critical thought into that album in general. I mean, not that it's a bad album, but I'll be honest, like, I, I actually, re I like, I really like Peter Frampton. I'm really not super into that as an album, mostly just due to the fact that I don't like most of the songs he had back then in his catalog. It's just not an album I ever really go to. But I do think it is an interesting perspective that, you know, at least I didn't think about it whenever, whenever I came up with this, that... Back in the 70s, if something fucking, you know, got messed up on one of the tapes, you have to re-record it. Yeah. If you got oh, that yeah. crackling or that you feedback. Have an option. It's, uh, you know, I just, I, I guess we, I guess I took modern technology for granted for that for a second. But yeah, it's like, I, you know, yeah, now that sounds real obvious. Yeah, again, it's just one of those ones like I never put the critical thought into it. And then as soon as I took like a second to think about it, it's like, oh. Yeah, that's that. It, again, it, it really is obvious. It makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, another one that was interesting, just real quick. Yeah, was go ahead. We, I remember uh, when record day was coming up. I think it was after we stopped recording, but I brought up the Live and Dangerous recording from Thin Lizzy. Yes. Which was a live album, and I didn't understand why they were saying this is the first time on vinyl. When I'm like, I have it on vinyl. It's right over there. So apparently, that's another one of these records that was debated how live it was yeah because it too was taken from across three nights yeah and 
the so Thin Lizzy's manager and the guy who produced it, I guess, were debating like th- like you know in comments and interviews over the years. Uh, the producer saying that album is like seventy five percent in the studio, and they just added like live live parts later. Uh, and the manager was like, no, it's mostly uh, live, and we just like did a little bit of overdubbing after the fact. So what they actually released on Record Store Day was the first night unedited of that tour. Oh, really? Yeah. Which uh, Oh, that okay, that's actually it, really cool. I did not realize that. Yeah, it would have been really cool if they named it something else or were a little bit clearer about what they were releasing. Because then yeah. I might have bought it. But yeah. apparently, um, apparently... When, when people put them, like, side by side, because it has been out for a year. This was the Record Store Day release, but it's already part of a CD box set that you can buy for, like, a year now. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I don't believe it's on Spotify. At least I didn't see it. But apparently they compared them side by side, and there weren't as many overdubs or or uh, cuts to different nights as, like, anyone originally thought. It was, like, way more of a pure live recording than, like, most people expected it to be. So maybe the... Yeah, because I have written down it's actually in the 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 album book that claims it is like seventy five percent live. So maybe that's actually correct. And it's yeah, uh, the the producer who I, I have written down is Tony Vasanti, who he's yeah. the one who claims it's the other way around. It's only about twenty five percent live. Right. Um. Interesting. I mean, either that or what they released is a lot of other takes that were doctored well supposedly and just never released from, so who knows well so what was released on vinyl was the first night but the box set actually contains all three like unedited nights supposedly okay very oh that's that see that's actually really cool but i think that begs the question of do you do you this is you personally do you personally want a live album that is literally just a straight through single night versus would you rather have, you know, let's say the best of three nights all put together into one right. set list. Yeah. Like what would you personally prefer? This is where I get caught up in the fact that like, well, the, the version that's taken from across three nights actually has the entire show. Whereas a couple songs are like cut off from the cut up version. Right. Okay. Um, and as like a fan of like just having more of the music, I would want like, I would want the extra songs, and therefore go. I would probably buy that record if I had known what it was. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I also like I have no problem owning what I own, knowing that it is mostly unedited anyway. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think it would be interesting to just like uh, listen to them side by side or something. I wish it some. I don't know if it, if it maybe is out there. Someone doing the timestamps for that album, but can I just say how much dedication that is for these people who are like finding bootleg recordings of specific nights and then comparing it to the oh uh, yeah to the released albums. That's, that's incredible. Um, see, here, here's here's the thing I, I I think of though, and this is why I am in favor of these like the best of multiple nights all put together. Yeah. Uh, and the the best example I've recently found is uh, from our good old friends Pearl Jam. Okay, who, yeah. Who 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 recently released another? Who also live had album. a record store day release. Is that what this giveaway is? Yeah. Okay. Or at least um, the re- the vinyl version was out on that that same record store uh, day. Yeah. Well, it was just fairly. It was recent release, as far as I can tell. Even though it's a live recording from I 
think it said 1998. Yeah. Um, and, and let me tell you, if I stood in line, all right, yeah. if I stood in line to buy a Pearl Jam live album recorded back in the 90s, I would be livid if this is the album I went home with. It is... Eddie Vedder is so much better than what is on this record. Right. It is embarrassing to me that they chose to release this, which I think begs the question of just, like, why? Like, surely there are literally dozens of other full Pearl Jam recording, like, live album recordings that are yet to be released where Eddie's voice doesn't break every time he gets into, like, the upper fifth of his of his range. Dude, I mean, but are there, though? Have you ever seen the list of Pearl Jam official live releases? I mean, do, do they really just release, like, every take they've ever done? Dear sweet Jesus, maybe. Okay, I mean, well, may maybe maybe there aren't, then. Maybe they're already all out there. Maybe there really are just down to the ones where Eddie's voice cracks every 30 seconds. Hold on one second. Because... Oh, go ahead. Go to Pearl Jam on Spotify. I'm actually looking right now. Wow, they really do have a lot of... <laughs> okay, they do have a lot of live albums. Yeah, you could just and these are Okay, and they're, all, now, and they're all dated. I was, I so, was going to say, now these probably all don't have official, official releases, but they sure do put a whole shitload of their concerts, like, up to either their fans or... Uh, like, because I think some of these, like had physical releases through their fan website or whatever through their fan okay um but the, there's a if there there's plenty on streaming if you want some live pearl jam you can fucking go on streaming right now and find them from any decade it looks like i've seen at least two recorded in pittsburgh so far just scrolling through these yeah um okay so now i'm actually wondering Man, I don't know. I'm still gonna stand by. Like, I'm sorry. This this being <laughs> this giveaway being released, uh, you know, 25 years after the fact, and Eddie sounds this bad when, like, surely he's sounded better. Like, this has to just be a bad night. I yeah. can't give credit where it's due. I I will never say I think Eddie is like a bad vocalist right. front man, but like, it's it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating listening, but no, I actually had no idea they released this many live albums. This also, like, now that you're saying this, I swear to God, I've looked at Pearl Jam on Spotify before, and they were these were not all here. When the hell did these all get here? <laughs> oh, they're all labeled as compilation. I you, I don't normally yeah, scroll down you, that if far. Yeah, if you set it to albums, they, to like studio albums, they all go away. So go figure, this new one is under the albums section, which is why I saw it. Yeah. And the rest of these are under compilation on Spotify. Holy hell, why would you do this? <laughs> um, okay, I mean, I guess whatever makes the fans happy, but Jesus, I guess this is just more proof that I'm really not a Pearl Jam fan. Holy hell. There's plenty of live Pearl Jam out there for you. I'm gonna have to skim through some of these and see how Eddie is, like, more often. Because I'm really, on one hand, I'm really hoping this giveaway was actually just a bad night. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, that just makes me angry that this was like a special release. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the people who are into this kind of thing, maybe they're excited about how, I don't know, I'm sure someone out there is going to be yelling that like, oh no, it's just raw and emotive. And it's like, no, it's just not good. 
You mean we're gonna get a comment that says something like we're wrong about a Pearl Jam? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, we're not wrong. Pearl, Pearl Jam is not as good as I thought they were, is I think really what's happening here. That's why I have to keep bringing The them first up. three albums are really good, and then you get the best of, and then you're kind of done. No, but see, that's the thing. I've never even said the first three albums are really good. The first album is really good, and then there's a couple songs off the next two. Like Versus? It has a couple songs. Oh, come on. I guess. Alright, whatever. Uh, in fact, it has two good, like, honestly, it has two good songs. It it has Elderly One Behind the Counter, and it has, and it has, and it has Daughter. Alright. Um, anyway, that's not my point. My point is, I, my point is I'd be embarrassed, and I'd be frustrated if I went to Record Store Day. Which, yet again, I, I didn't, because there's never anything I want. But if I went, and I stood in line somewhere, and this is what I came home with, I would have been very, very annoyed. <laughs> How about, I found a lot of talk about Deep Purple's Made in Japan album. Yes. And I found a lot of people fighting over whether it is not overdubbed at all, or there is, supposedly, there is one overdub from what I have found people arguing about. Yeah. And it happens in the song Strange Kind of Woman. The story goes that Ian Gillen tripped over a microphone cord, so that small section had to be, had to be like, redone in the studio afterwards. Yeah. But, as always, I can find no proof other than hearsay. A handful of forum posts and a couple blog posts where people reference it, but there's no citation. I also did find, and this just kind of made me laugh, because I've never even noticed this, I found a forum post where a guy said that he believes it is completely unedited because in the song Lazy, you can hear Ian Gillen say what sounds like, oh, shut up. And the poster on this forum speculates that the shut up was directed to Richie Blackmore, who was being a little noodly during the song. <laughs> and he thinks that that's Ian Gillen yelling at Richie Blackmore, which obviously, if this were going to be doctored, surely they would have taken that out. Uh, that's a lot of speculating, but I think it makes for a good story, so I had to tell it. <laughs> I really like it anytime someone tell- is telling him to shut up. Oh, I think it's hysterical. Any- I, any- I love God. that video of Ronnie James Dio on the bus. <laughs> What is it? Congratulations, Ricky. Richie, you can play guitar. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, not to go on a whole tangent here, but God, I love Richie Blackmore, but I also love people ripping on Richie Blackmore. I, I love every time someone tells a story about him being a jackass, just because I think it makes it, it, it seems so perfect that like, of course he's one of the least likable people alive. I found something on, on the, the old Wikipedia. Yeah. That says, uh, John Lord, organ and piano player for, for Deep Purple, Deep Purple, once made a statement in an interview, Strange Kind of Woman had to be redubbed from a different show after Gillen had tripped over the microphone cable, but no direct evidence has been found of this when the multi-track tapes were examined. And is Okay. And according to Wikipedia, it's believed that there's no overdubs on the album. Okay. But on, like, you know how Wikipedia has their citations, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Go to what it cites. Right. Does it open anything for you? It's a book. Like, oh, okay. It's a okay, book or okay. newspaper. So maybe that was the wrong thing. I just know, like, there were a couple times where I found citations, but, like, the link was dead. Yeah. 
So the site, so the thing it cited doesn't exist anymore. So I was like, all right, that was useless. I was yeah. thinking that was one of them, but maybe not. No, no I'm just presenting it. a counterpoint. It, as a, everything, both sides of the argument should be taken with a grain of salt. We're we're all yeah. speculating here tonight. Again, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of speculation here. So speaking of speculation, can I give a couple speculations that I thought were really fun? Go for it. So I and these are just based on just like old forum posts, Reddit posts, stuff like that. But again, no citations, so I I can't back any of this up. These are just a couple things that made me laugh. Okay. Uh Jane's Addictions live album, according to a poster, was live, but the audience sound was taken directly from a Los Lobos live album. <laughs> again, I have no idea if that's true or not, but that makes me laugh. I think that's hysterical. Jimmy Reed at at uh, at Carnegie Hall. It's a double album he did in the 60s. And this is straight off of off of Wikipedia here, and they have a citation. Though the title suggests that the record was recorded live, it consists of studio recreations of a Carnegie Hall performance, along with additional studio recordings. The problem is that citation went to nothing, so I, I have no clue where that comes from, but I love that idea so much. And then this one... I read, and I had to go and find it myself, and dear God, it might be one of the funniest things I've ever I've ever heard. Billy Joel has an album called 2000 Years, The Millennium Concert, right? Yeah. And you know the song Scenes from an Italian Restaurant, I assume. Yeah. Okay, this recording on 2000 Years, The Millennium Concert of Scenes from an Italian Restaurant... <laughs> The first verse is is so obviously it is a recording of Billy Joel, but it has to be like twenty years old. <laughs> and then, you know, it has the saxophone break, and it breaks into the second verse where it sounds more like current live vocals. And you can tell <laughs> because the first verse, Billy Joel when he was younger, had this higher uh, tone quality, like, not like, again, not like pitch, he didn't change the key of the song. The tone quality of his voice was higher and brighter and more heady. And then as he, and because he's human, most people do, as you get older, your voice is kind of warm and become darker and, and more chesty. So the first verse is so obviously Billy Joel, like, in his 20s or 30s, singing this song, you know, a bottle of red, a bottle of white, right? Yeah. And then, you know, saxophone solo. Things are okay with me these days. It's so fucking funny. I swear to God, you need to go listen to this. I literally put this on my in the car on my way home from work the other day, and <laughs> I about died when I realized, like, oh my god, this person's not kidding. This is so <laughs> faked, it's unreal. Did they give a reason why that may have happened? I could not find a reason why it may have happened, no. It was just someone basically on a forum bitching about how bad this is. <laughs> and I had to listen to... Because I've never listened to this album. I, I have no... Uh, I, I have no desire to. <clears throat> when Billy Joel has other live albums that I really like, I didn't really need to go back to one from 2000. I didn't really care. I like old man Billy Joel a lot more than I like young man Billy Joel. I like his voice now as an older man. So, like, if I'm going to listen to a Billy Joel live album, like, the one I go to is live at Shea Stadium from, like, 20, 20, what is this? This is 2011, so I'm assuming somewhere around there. 
Um, I just like his voice so much more as he's aged. He's one of those guys who I think has aged very well. So, like, why would I go back and listen to back when he was whiny and annoying? That just that sounds stupid. Um, so, so even better, you can go back twenty three years and then hear a recording that's forty years at the forty years old at the beginning of a scene from an Italian restaurant. Ah, uh, absolutely beautiful. It's one of my favorite things I found in my research here. What uh, did you listen through any full any of these albums that people were claiming to be uh, fake the whole way? Um, I've listened to, well, the thing is, some of the most famous ones that people say are fake the whole way are albums that are in, like, my regular rotation. Like, Kiss Alive 1, 2, and 3 are, are fairly common in my, in my routine playing here. I had not listened to them, um, because I'm not a Kiss fan, and I did, and I'm still not a Kiss fan, so... (laughs) I mean, um... the thing, like, you need to be a Kiss fan to enjoy them. But, like, if you're a fan of Kiss, they're probably the best albums they've ever put out. Yeah, I mean, I hate Kiss. Yeah, I mean, that's another one where it's, like, you know, recorded across multiple nights, plus there's, like, sound check recordings mixed in with live noise. Uh, and, you know, studio, you know, studio editions. Um, but, you know, that was one of the ones where I checked out the songs that I liked. I, I made an effort, Jeff. I tried to listen through, like, but I made it to Ladies Room. And with a gun to my head, I will never listen to the song Ladies' Room again by Kiss. And that is a problem with the Kiss live album, is that... I mean, if you, you don't get songs like the songs... Like ladies' Room. If you don't like the songs, you're not gonna like the recording. I didn't know Ladies' Room, and now I know that I'd rather have a gun to my head. I, Jeff, can you I give understand. us a countdown of the top ten Kiss songs? <laughs> no, I can't remember it anymore. Oh, okay, I'm going to try my best. This was a top ten list that I made years ago, many years ago. And I'm going to try my best to remember what they were. So it's um, Love Gun and Love Gun. Uh, Number eight was Love Gun. Number seven was the recording of I Want to Rock and Roll All Night that they used in Tony Hawk. Is it Underground? Um, I think number six was Love Gun. Number five, I think, was Love Gun. Number number four, I think, was Beth. Number three was Love Gun. Number two, I think, was Love Gun. And number one was that one time Nirvana covered... I don't even remember what song it was. What song was it, Chris? Uh, fuck. What song did Nirvana, like, half cup? Do you love me? Um... With an honorable mention of Love Gun. Well, you can throw in an honorable mention of Love Gun from uh, one of the Kiss Alives. That's very true. You're, 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 that's very true. I forgot about the Kiss Top 10 list. Man, I listened to parts of Kiss Alive so you could give me the Kiss Top 10 list again. Oh, that's a shame. I actually listen to those, like, frequently. I, I love the Kiss no, Alive you, No, the songs that, that I like were good, and I'll be fair about that. But it also just made me realize that, man, I like songs by Kiss. I don't like Kiss at all. Uh, I mean, that's, I mean, that, that is completely understandable is the problem. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't, I can't argue that point. Kiss is, I think, deservedly so extremely divisive in that, like, I think everybody, like, everybody knows Kiss but I genuinely question anyone, let's say, who's 35 and younger, 
I genuinely question how many songs by Kiss they actually know. Like, do you know the first line of Detroit Rock City? Everybody gonna move their feet. Okay, exactly. Like, you can't, like, that's one of their big songs, and you don't even know the first line (laughs) of the song. I don't know, it's just Paul Stanley lisping through it no matter what it is. (laughs) But I think that says a lot about, like, how much they truly are relevant. Saturday night! Or whatever the fuck he says. Yeah, it's I feel uptight on a Saturday night. There you go, I did it. Yabba dabba dabba Saturday night. Yeah, exactly. Do you believe that Live Like a Suicide is fake, Jeff? I don't know which one that is. That's the Guns N' Roses album that's just two covers and a couple outtakes from Appetite for Destruction and they threw live oh, sound over it to be funny. Count. Well, I found it on even... the list and then I looked it up. I'm like, there's not even an argument about this, but yeah, I don't that's know. Not... I don't know how they could. I don't know who this would fool. Guns N' Roses never played a live show. They don't show up. And even if they did, they couldn't get through five that, songs that without is, problems. That is not true. But that being said, so another live album, um, that I genuinely love is the Guns N' Roses live album. But please note, its official title is Live Era 87 to 93. Yeah. It is, it is literally five to six years worth of separate recordings. And I don't know how much of it was spliced together, but it was all made to sound as if it's one concert when it very, very blatantly isn't. Um, Does Axel's voice change on that one? I would imagine over a decade like that. It's not a decade. It's 87 to, to 93. It's yeah, not a decade. a decade. No. That's it's, it's five a, to six years depending on what the a dates A baker's were. dozen. But e- that's not how that works. <laughs> that's even more. But either way, it's, it, it's definitely spliced together, but I, I could not find a whole lot of specifics as to, you know, was this song cut into seven parts or whatever? Well, no. What I'm asking is, does Axel's voice change? Does he, can you like tell him getting older as the concert goes on, like the Billy Joel I'll thing? I'll be honest. Cause... I'll be honest. No. Okay. Um, because it's not that long of a difference. This Billy okay. Joel recording, the first verse is very seriously. It has to be twenty years older than the recording itself. Okay. Like it, it's it's so bad. Um, another one is Poison's "Swallow This" live. Which is another one that was recorded over the course of, like, multiple years. And they edited it together to make it sound like one show. So this actually was one of my first live albums. Like, this is one of the albums that got me into live recordings. I love this album. And, like, 15-year-old me or whatever, when he bought this, loved this album. I now come to find out that people hate it. Like, this album gets panned, and I, I'll be honest, I don't really know why, but maybe part of it is the fact that people were expecting more from Poison than I am. Are people mad about, like, the overdubs, or that they're, or are there overdubs? Is it one of these fake live albums? Are people pissed about that? I'm assuming it's, I'm assuming there are some overdubs, but quite frankly, uh, there's also things like... You you hear Brett Michaels' voice singing in harmony with himself. Okay. But like that happens at the live shows anyway. Yeah. It's it's just backing that doesn't that's just part of how the performance works, and that kind of thing doesn't bother me. I don't really care. And honestly, it's it's flawed. It's so flawed in a lot of ways that 
if if they were overdubbing this, shame on them. Okay. Because they could have done better. Okay. But that's part of why I like it, because it's just like... It's, it's raw. It's, it's so raw and ridiculous and campy and fun, and it's a fun collection of songs, and speaking of it being raw, it makes me laugh because... Poison's other live album is called Live, Raw, and Uncut, and it is supposedly a soundboard recording. Okay. So here's the thing. As far as I know, Live, Raw, and Uncut is is exactly as it says. It's not heavily spliced or overdubbed or anything. It is just a soundboard recording. God, it sounds awful, though. Really? Like, I do not listen to this album. It sounds so bad because everything is recorded to sound like one of the things you're missing. And this is why I think I like some bootleg recording so much more is because it's just like a microphone out in the audience and you're picking it up. You're picking up all of the air that is being moved by the amplifiers and the drums and all of the PA system, right? Yeah. Like you're hearing everything. You're hearing all that air moving and you're hearing the audience, which there's something about the white noise of an audience that just fills sonic space that I think makes part of my brain happy. Right. When you get these soundboard recordings, you lose a lot of the audience. Like, they're there, but they're just, like, kind of ambiently being picked up. But you're also just not getting all of the air moving. You're not getting how big the sound is. So everything sounds thin. Like, the the usually on these soundboard recordings... The guitars are so, so tinny and trebly because that's what you need to cut through a mix. Yeah. But that doesn't sound good on its own. Um, the b- basses always sound clicky. Like, think, yeah. like, Fieldy from Korn, right? Right. Everyone's bass, like, even even Gene Simmons, they have a, uh, they're releasing a set of soundboard recordings. And he's got that Fieldy tone. Yeah. That, like, slapping metal with your finger, you know? <laughs> It just all sounds thin and tinny, and I hate, I hate it. This is one of those ones where I'm like, I'm forgiving. No, I'd rather have an overdubbed, semi-faked live album over, over when the, when your next best option is these awful soundboard recordings. Give me a soundboard recording that at least is mixed properly. I was going to say, because we've talked about the soundboard recording, and you hate the soundboard recording. Uh, for some, I mean, I, I hate Kiss's soundboard recording. Yeah. There's, um, I don't we'll say, know if we'll say for the, a... mo- well, okay, you, you certainly hate the unmixed live soundboard recording. I hate it when they're not, like, it's, it's mixed for a live setting, as yeah. it should be, but then, like, it's not like, they, they, it feels like they it's didn't do anything to mix it. It's not remixed for an album. Yeah, and I feel like it, it really needed to be. Yeah. And this is why my favorite live recordings tend to be either ones that are literal bootlegs, um, even though the recording quality might be lacking, I like the sound of it better. Yeah. Or these ones that are, you know, maybe maybe touched up a little bit. I'm, I mean, I'm with you. I'm I'm not against the touching up. I just kind of thought that the that the topic of these albums are accused at least of being completely fabricated is kind of funny. Oh yeah, I think it's hysterical. And, and, I, and I do I would love to know I would love to know like is there one of these live albums that I love that is literally just like studio recordings with fake audience? Yeah. I I don't know. And I've I've said before I would love to come back to the topic of live albums because I'm I'm sure we both have more we can say and more albums oh, to talk I, about because I, 
again, that's a huge part, like a huge portion of my listening is live albums, like without a doubt. I'll do one more that's kind of on the topic of the, of the fakery. Yeah. Because we kind of, I sent you an article between the last time we recorded and, and now. Yes. Yes, you did. Can I, okay, real quick. Can I just, can I just say we've been lucking out, man? Like first we're talking about baby metal in like what in between deciding to do it and then talking about it. They have big news. Yeah. We're like, they add a new member. And now we decide to talk about live albums that were edited between then. And now we're actually talking about it. Chris, what was this article? Cause it's big news. Apparently one of, um, one of the Aussie live albums that is Aussie performing a black Sabbath set that was released in 82, 83, 82. But I guess since then, or well, the article says a while back, but the article was recent. It's the, it's one of those things where, for clicks, they're bringing back some old news. But anyways, yeah, it, it seems as though the producer went on to say that most of the live vocals from the singer were, in essence, fully re-recorded in the studio as he was unhappy with the original result. And this is on top of the album already being recorded upon across several nights and being touched up in the studio by the band before. So it's recorded over multiple nights. They took the best takes, overdubbed the instruments where it needed to be done, and then overdubbed... All of, or at least most of the vocals? Mostly, most of it, he's saying. Yeah. Like, that's, that's not a good, how do I want to say this? Like, that doesn't look good. That's not a good image of, like, wow, almost none of this was real. There may be a reason that this album's not on Spotify or streaming. There may be a reason Ozzy wanted to bury this. Have you listened to it? I have not. I'm going to tell you, at, at a glance, this looks like it could be kind of fun. The idea of, you know, a performance of Ozzy in the 80s doing Black Sabbath stuff. But first off, I would say this doesn't, even if it's redubbed, it doesn't sound like peak live Ozzy, right? I mean, and Ozzy's not like the greatest live vocalist to begin with, but like... No. I wouldn't say this was peak. But this is also post-Randy leaving the band and pre-Jake Lee. So they have the guitarist from Night Ranger. I was going to say, so who even was it? I do you know who the guitarist for Night Ranger is? No. <laughs> Give me one second don't. because I didn't even make a note. I just hoped that it wouldn't come up. I, I lit uh Brad Gillis. Brad Gillis. Yeah, that sounds right. And they also had the bassist for Quiet Riot. Wow. So yeah, the, this was this was a what's his name? Bob. Who's his it was his usual bassist back in time. Well that was that Bob Rock or whatever? No, no, that's Rock. that's the mountain. That's the Metallica no, that's the guy, guy who thinks he's in Metallica. That's the Metallica guy, uh, Bob Daisley. Thank you. I, was gonna say, I actually don't know, honestly. Yeah, no, there he is, Bob Daisley. So this, I don't album... think I realized there was a. Wow, I'm sorry. I just, I, I did not realize there was ever a time between Randy Rhodes and Jake E. Lee. They didn't put out an album, but there's this this, this Brad Gillis guy is on this live album. Crazy. That, again, I genuinely didn't know there was a thing. That again is buried. Uh, and Rudy Sarzo of Quiet Riot plays bass on this live album. Wow. And, and I, I, I'll give it this. The track listing is fucking awesome. I mean, opening with Symptom of the Universe, Snowblind, you know, Black Sabbath. Uh, I mean, The Wizard, which, like, doesn't get a lot of love from actual Black Sabbath anymore. is cool to hear. Oh, I love with, that like, song. With, like, the more modern, kind of shreddy. I mean, it's not it's not Randy Rhodes or Jakey e. Lee, but still it's more of a shreddy style than... But it was still like an eighties guy. Does. Yeah, yeah. It was it was one of the eighties like glam rock style guys who were all about the technical insanity. Right, right. 
So, but again, like you kind of like look at the lineup. It's like, what did we miss out on by losing? Because apparently Randy Rhodes was planned to do this with Ozzy and it fell through. Huh. Okay. Um, I'm actually learning about like the Ozzy career right now. I didn't, I had no idea this ever happened. Yes. And then on the album, the tracks Iron Man, Children in Grave, and Paranoid are apparently like really fucking loose and sloppy, which they are. Because okay. they thought that they were going to take recordings from different nights. So they performed them for the crowd, thinking they weren't going to make it to tape. Oh, no. Thinking they were going to take these recordings with Randy Rhodes and splice them onto the end of the album. And they decided to hold on to the Randy Rhodes recordings for a different release. So you okay. get these really three, really sloppy last three songs on the album. It's, a, I mean, it's an interesting listen if you want to hear some. I so I actually I just pulled it up because I'm I'm gonna be listening to it here later. I'm I'm very curious. I have to say I'm curious about this comment, uh, Mister Schmuggy Twenty Five. I don't know where you're getting your information, but quote: Brad Gillis had to learn all the songs on this for this tour in four days. Um. So. I don't know if that's exactly true, but both the producer and, like, all of the comments on Wikipedia is, like, this was really, like, slapdash together. Interesting. In fact, I, it, it's, it's, seems like this recording ended and Brad Gillis and Rudy Asarzo, like, immediately quit Ozzy and went back to Night Ranger and Quiet Riot, or joined Night Ranger and went back to Quiet Riot. Crazy. In fact, I believe it also said somewhere that... Rudy Sars was it Rudy? One of them, Ozzy was so pissed off at he fought them backstage at a later show. Oh, okay. Because they just just bailed after this after this live album was thrown together. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I I very seriously I I have no no knowledge of this at all. I have completely missed its existence. The problem is is that this might have been kind of interesting. If Black Sabbath didn't have like five reunion albums, I'd rather listen to. I mean, yeah, the thing I was gonna say because like the thing is like I so speaking of other albums that are like regular rotation, if I'm gonna listen to Black Sabbath, there's a damn good chance I'm putting on the I think it's 1999 reunion album, right? Which I am sure is overdubbed. N- no oh, offense sure. to Ozzy. No offense to Ozzy. I do not believe. That these are all live vocals. I just don't. I've heard enough bootleg recordings of Ozzy. Yeah. It's um it's it's too clean. It's too good. Yeah. Which again, I'm going back to like I, that's not what I would have expected. That's not what I expect from Ozzy in a live setting anyway. So like I wouldn't be mad at an Ozzy concert. Right. But from an album perspective, like I you know, a little bit of polish makes it feel more real. As dumb as that sounds, right? Like, yeah, making no. it a little fake makes it feel more real. Right. It's like the, it's like the, do you know the Tiffany problem? No, go ahead. There's this, there's this idea that, like, anytime you make, uh, like, let's say, like, you're making, like, a historical movie, there are sometimes things you have to do where you make it less accurate for the sake of making it feel more accurate. And an example would be if you made a movie taking place in ancient Greece and you named a character Tiffany, that doesn't feel right, but apparently Tiffany was a name in ancient Greece. Yeah, I think we have talked about that now that you say it. Yeah, even though it's one of those ones, like, I, it's it, it's called, like, the Tiffany problem, even though it isn't actually accurate 
Like, yeah. I believe the Greek name was, like, Teofanu or something more along those lines. Right. But it's like, you know, like, if you have a gunfight in, in, a, in a movie, the gun sounds are all super fake. Or if something blows up in a movie, explosions in movies are fakeified because what the actual explosion would look like doesn't look real. Yeah. So it's one of those kind of things. Like, I feel like live albums are kind of... I, I treat them kind of the same way. If so, In some ways, making them a little fake makes them feel more real. Right. Yeah. Very odd. I'm pretty excited, actually. I am going to have to listen to this, this Ozzy album, because I... No, I did not. I literally, like, I saw... You sent me the article, I saw it, I read it, and I thought, I'm going to leave this for Chris to talk about, and then just, like, completely forgot <laughs> to, to go back and follow up on it. All right. So I absolutely want to talk about like f- like favorite live albums and all that kind of stuff at a different time. Sure. So just on this topic of 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 you know fake live albums, do you have any other thoughts? No, no. Yeah. I will save anything else for I can save anything else for the next time we we talk about live albums in general. Okay, cool. Because like I have other like I could go on for forever. So why right. don't we stop talking about this there and I can talk more about live albums some other time? Because That's God knows I fine. could do it for forever. That's absolutely fine. So now what we're going to do is I'm going to hit stop and we're going to redub this podcast so that it sounds good this time. <laughs> I hate, I hate this so much. <laughs> Chris, what have you been listening to? Jeff, I've been listening to some live albums. Hold on, let me pull up my last <laughs> Okay, obviously, when I ask you that, I am referring to not things related to the podcast. Actually, I have one more, because I'm now looking at it. I did listen to Unleashed in the East by Judas Priest. Oh, yeah, 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 that's another famous one that apparently, basically, all of the vocals are fake. Yeah, evidently. I mean, it sounds great, but man, I wouldn't be surprised. Rob Halford has some off nights sometimes, and I wouldn't be surprised if he needed overdubbed on the live album. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I, I'm not surprised by that either. Unleashed in the East by Judas Priest. There's a lot of rhyming in that, Jeff. I've been listening to Wu-Tang Clan. Wait, really? Yeah. Okay. Just not what I expected. I didn't expect live albums to put you in the mood for Wu-Tang Clan, but all right. I'm I'm here for it. I just realized that, you know, I don't listen to enough Wu-Tang Clan, and I need to do it more so I can keep making the joke to you about which member is the worst member of Wu-Tang <laughs> which Clan. Which member is the worst member of Wu-Tang Clan. I have no problem. For with those that. of you playing along at home, I have asked Jeff three times, but only once on the podcast, who the worst member of Wu Tang Clan is. Uh, and I've apparently agreed every time because yes. I don't really. That's one of those things you're just going to keep saying, and I, I don't know what else to say, so I just feel like I have to agree. Well, okay, so I think the first time was, is you, God, the worst member of Wu Tang Clan? Um, you agreed. You agreed that you, you, God, was. The second time, I believe, was Inspected Deck. And the third time during the ICP episode was Raekwon. Oh, okay. That's really funny. I was just agreeing with this, though. All right. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, who is the worst member of Wu-Tang Clan, though? I, I really am not. I'm not going to actually try and, like, I'm not making a tier list. All right? I'm not doing this. Because also, quite frankly, I don't know enough about all of them to, to really say. Like, there's some I, I can't I can't judge. Right. But I'm going to keep agreeing every time you ask me if one's the worst. Uh, all right. So Jeff is old, dirty Clan. bastard, the worst member of Wu Tang Clan. What else have you been listening to? <laughs> I mean, I've been listening to Dirt by Allison Chains for some reason. Oh, all right. And I found a human being who had never listened to the Misfits, so I've been doing that. Uh, other than that, I went and saw Alice Cooper. 
You did for the eighth time or whatever? God, something like that. Man, he's still fucking incredible at 75. I don't have that much energy at fucking 32. No, dude's, dude's, the, the dude's a monster. Unreal. Um, funny side story. Uh, I went with, I went with our friend, Nick. Uh, she yeah. fell asleep in the car on the way home, and I, I switched over to some Devin Townsend. I got home. Literally that night, just like scrolling on YouTube, someone did a fucking mashup of schools out in the style of strapping young lad. <laughs> Seriously? Mm-hmm. That's kind of funny, actually. I'm into that. I'm telling you, man, we're getting spied on more and more somehow. Uh, I mean, it really does feel like that, doesn't it? Jeff, what did the internet tell you you want to listen to, and you agreed? I Oh my, what? I, wait, how, how did you know? Do I really do that a lot? Like, is that really what happens? I'm just saying, I'm just, we are all being recommended things by the, by the, what the fuck's it called? The algorithm? Is the that algorithm. The We've all been, the algorithm has figured us all out and we just kind of nod our heads these days. Ah, uh, okay, I mean, I hate that you said that. Because one thing I've actually been listening to quite a bit of the past couple days is, uh, is in excess and it's because of the algorithm and it's because of reddit oh okay someone posted on reddit like just a couple days ago it was on i think the subreddit today i learned yeah and it was um you know like today i learned that michael hutch hutch hutchins i guess is how we say <laughs> that michael hutchins of in excess did not die from as i've always assumed auto erotic asphyxiation is the story Okay. Like, he accidentally hung himself for that reason. Um, but, like, no, it's, it's like, very genuinely just, like, I mean, it was still a suicide. But it was, like, it was an intentional suicide. Uh, apparently what happened was he was, um, like, literally, like, assaulted. He was, like, attacked at one point. Jeez. And that ended up causing some brain damage. He, I believe, lost, like, his sense of smell and a lot of taste and it caused other issues and he he was developing um drug issues and whatnot and he ultimately like he he ultimately did take his own life and the autoerotic asphyxiation story apparently came from his i don't know if it's girlfriend or wife um made that claim probably like looking for you know like an excuse oh, or something. Like, how could he have actually done this? Like, surely it was something else. Uh, so, thanks to the internet, I was listening to a lot of NXS, who I've never really listened to before, and I really like them, to be honest with you. Okay, um, I'm gonna be honest, I... Excuse me, I never really got into NXS, so, uh... Give me, it, at the very least, your favorite one so far. Um... Mostly, I've been listening to the the album "Kick" seems to be the one that like has most of their big songs on it, and I can kind of see why. Okay, like "New Sensation" and "Need You Tonight" and "Mystify." Like these seem to be like their bigger songs, and I can kind of see why. I think the whole album is just really fun, though. I'm just kind of just really digging it in general. It's a very good groove album. Okay, so oddly enough, I've been in um, to, uh, in excess. And then I've also been digging this group called Hotter Than December. And it's like synth wavy, some shreddy guitar kind of stuff. 
but it's just other. I mean, it's just, it's it's good driving music to me, that sort of thing. Um, and I found them randomly on Reddit as well, actually. Just like the person who is part of this project posted in another thread, like, "Oh, hey, for whatever you're doing, you can use my music for free." And here's a link. And been digging hotter than December a lot, but they put me in the mood to listen to Buckethead. So I'm, for better or worse, on a Buckethead kick. And oh, man. you know how he has like 30 million albums. I was explaining to our coworkers we the topic of Guns N' Roses came up and I was explaining to him about like he just brought up Bucket and I was like, you know that man's fucking insane. He like recorded an album every day for 31 he, days for Halloween one year. He has literally hundreds of albums. He has hundreds and they're um it's this whole series they're called Pikes and they're yeah. all like they're they're short. I mean they're all like half an hour long and a lot of them are just like fairly simple ambient music like i don't want to go out and say like they're all they're not all massive experience they're not all the same level as like welcome to bucket headland kind of thing but they're all very interesting i think and there's a website if you just look up pike suggester uh this guy made a website of all of them and it has different categories mellow rock heavy melodic whatever and you can check different categories so like if you're in the mood to listen to Something new from Buckethead, you can go like, okay, I want something uh, technical and melodic and ambient. Oh, actually, that's a bad choice. There's nothing, none of those. But I have put technical and melodic, like, here's seven albums that fit that category. And you can go like, oh, okay, let's check out this one. And this one's called Meteor Firefly Net. There you go. That's how you find Buckethead albums. He's a weird dude, and I love Buckethead's him. out there. And, you know, I bet he's the kind of guy who scours the internet for his name. <laughs> you think? And now there will be an album that is, would you say, melodic, technical, and ambient? Because you I, I wanted was just, it. I was just, because I you was just, it. I was just clicking various options in the Pike You did suggester. this. He's making it tonight. 435 studio albums. He can make another one tomorrow. Was It doesn't matter. He records in a chicken coop or whatever. If I click ambient and melodic, there's a pike that shows up. And like, hey, yeah. recommend this one. And it's just like, that's just kind of how it works. And it just, I think it's just a cool concept. Because it's, it's impossible to cool keep site. track of... It's, a, it's impossible to keep track of all of his music. Christopher? Are we done? Are we done? Are we done? No, we're not done. We have to record the whole fucking thing over again so, so that we can it? get all the mistakes out. No, no, no. It's been an hour and 15 minutes. We just need to go back and find all the spots that need to be redubbed. Okay. And um, then, and then, hold on. Let me find some canned applause that you can add in um, as background for the entire album. Actually, entire what recording. I was thinking, what I was thinking is, I'm going to uh, a Conan concert, and I'll just record the audience audience noise, and I'll just put it over the podcast. <laughs> just, but make it a really bad loop. Like get yeah. like ten seconds, and then just keep looping that entire. Yeah, and I'll just seconds. change the volume that's, depending on how funny we are. That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this is Jeff. I just wanted to give a quick shout-out here to uh, YouTube user Hugo Timo, who commented on the Bochi the Rock episode, just to make a clarification for us. I made a reference that one of the characters in the show's... The, the name is similar to what I thought of was uh, an egg-laying fetish, and I kind of made a weird joke about that. And uh, our our champion here, Hugo, gave us the comment that the word I was looking for is Futanari. 
So if you want to, uh, if, if you want to look that up, it's F-U-T-A-N-A-R-I, Futanari. Thanks, Hugo. Also, while I'm at it, because in conversation on the Bochy the Rock episode, uh, Chris and I were discussing the fact that I, when possible, actually have marked down the, the manufacture date on some of my guitars. And as of this recording, my very first guitar turns 21 years old tomorrow. And just in case anyone was curious, the goofy, doofy little shred interludes that Chris uses when editing things, um, those were all played on her. Her. I say her. God, I am one of those, like, cringy dudes who names his guitars. Uh, yeah, so this is a, it's a manufactured on May 4th, 2002. It's a Yamaha Pacifica. Uh, and her name is Melfina, named after the character from Outlaw Star. So, you know, happy birthday to her. 